Praise the Lord for his help. <laughs> Good morning, brothers and sisters. What a privilege it is to be in the Lord's Word with you this morning. If we could turn in our Bibles to the Epistle of James. For those of you who's, who've missed the last weekend, our brother Larry did an excellent job to introduce the book and as well as cover the first 12 verses of the book of James. And he gave a good overall background and uh, description of the book in general. Uh, our task this morning is to cover verses 13 through 18, unless I'm mistaken and I got the wrong passage. Hopefully not, because that's what you're going to hear this morning. So we're going to cover verses, with the Lord's help, of course, we're going to cover verses 13 through 18. Let's read the chapter for context's sake. James, a servant of God of, of the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, not nothing wandering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think, that he shall not receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man and is unstable in all his way. Let the brother of low degree rejoice that he is exalted, but the rich and that he is made low, because as, a, as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no, one, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren, for every good gift, every perfect gift, is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, of his own will he begot us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart, apart any filthiness, any superfluidity, any naughtiness, and receive, them, uh, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for your word, Father, as 
Bible would describe as a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, Father. Let us now take a look at, at this mirror, Father. Let us examine our lives, Father. If there be any blemish in our lives that you don't like, Father, let us uh, address that issue, Father. Let us uh, absorb your word, Father. We ask that your name would be glorified this morning, Father. If any part of this message is not from you, Father, I pray that the saints would forget about it. We ask your blessing in your son's most precious name. We do pray. Amen. Um, the book of James, as our brother Larry described last week, it's, it's a, for him it's a difficult book. For me, I find a lot of passages in Scripture difficult uh, personally. Um, but nonetheless, it is, it's a very unique book in the New Testament. As he mentioned, it's the oldest, probably the oldest epistle in the New Testament that was written. And the, the, the technique, the pattern that it uses is almost like a proverb, very cut and dry. It's black or white. Um, my first experience from the book of James, I remember the first time I ever sp- spoke from God's word publicly that I recall. Don't take me to the bank on this. I was uh, 14 years old or 15 years old as a junior staff. And it was mandatory for the young junior staff to do a nugget, which is just a short message, short passage, which the Lord laid on your heart, to share amongst everybody in the dining room after a meal. And, of course, the more older, younger men that were more spiritual, which I thought were more spiritual at the time, would sign up and they would fill out Monday, and I was the last person to fill out. So I was on Friday, come the banquet, and I was very nervous at the time. And the passage that I actually spoke on was the book of James. And it it always brings me back to that memory. Uh, During the week we had, you could say we had a lot of trials through training, through reading God's word. But uh, the trials that I had in mind were in the basketball court. We were young men and we were full of, I guess, testosterone, wanting to show each other up. And And we would argue and argue. And then I was just thinking... In the middle of the game, I'm like, we're in a Christian camp. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I mean, save from curse words. We're yelling at each other as if we're, par- as if we're in the world. And then, and then this passage came to mind, which is not part of our passage, about be slow to speak. And that was my first experience with the book of James. It, and I thought it was very beneficial at the time. And, uh, well, let's not go too far off our topic here. The word temptation is a prevalent uh, term that is used in the first chapter. Temptation, trial, testing. It's all the same word. But as uh, the first 12 verses, it has a positive connotation to it, where it says to count in all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. uh, James is trying to communicate that through temptation, if, if you endure it, you overcome it, you're going, there's going to be a positive uh, effect to it. And it's speaking of it in a, in a positive sense. Uh, more like in Peter, just a few pages over. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Through temptation, we should endure. And the Lord, in, its, in a sense, He would use temptation 
to work in the life of a believer to exercise their faith and to develop the Christian faith where you could be tried as, as by fire and you, and you would come out on the other side more refined, closer to the Lord. That's the whole, the whole reason that the Lord allows temptation. So in, in that context, uh, James would start out speaking about temptation in a positive sense. Over here, when we're, the, the verses we're going to consider, it's almost looking at the negative aspect, the dangers to temptation. And maybe before we get into the actual verses, just a very quick outline. I know it's an outline of five verses, but it's good to have an outline just to see how the passage is broken. You could say verses 13 through 14 is the source of temptation. Where does it come from? Who's responsible for this temptation? Are we responsible? Is God responsible? Is the devil responsible? And James will be clear to tell us what is the source of temptation. And verses 15 through 16 is the process of succumbing to temptation. What happens? What happens internally, physically? What is going to go on? That's verses 15 through 16. And verses 17 through 18 is the solution for temptation. So this word temptation, which was described and used in a positive sense, it's, it's almost like if you grab a word. For example, we were at the Ward's house last, I don't know, it was last weekend, and the kids enjoyed a nice hayride, and there was a plate with a, a, a complete assortment of these beautiful homemade desserts. The word homemade implies a positive thing. If you, somebody puts a box of Publix cookies there, there won't, it won't be a surprise if that box never gets opened because there's all these delicious array of homemade cookies. Now, if you say, hey, uh, can I borrow a lawnmower? It's like, I don't have one, but I have a homemade lawnmower. You're going to be like, what is this? I mean, it's a stick with a little blade. I'm going to be whacking grass. So that, in, in that sense, the, the term homemade has a negative context. So just, just it's the same term, but it's used in a different context. So where in the first 12 verses, it was used... In a positive, looking at the positive aspect of temptation. Now we're going to look at what temptation, what the dangers of temptation and trials and trying is and are. So going to our passage in verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Here James is, is flat out refuting turning down, neglecting the fact that God is the one that's tempting us. By temptation is solicitating to, to do evil, putting a, 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 a snare, a trap for the Christian to fall. Now, we're going to see that God allows temptation. Again, to refine your faith, to work the faith of the believer. But it is not God who tempts you to commit sin. It is not God who tempts to do evil. Um, ever since the beginning of man, it's in human nature, it's ingrained in all our fiber to cast blame aside, to accuse and excuse. You accuse others. Whenever I don't meet a deadline at work, well, you see, well, the project manager didn't give me these, uh, you know, these specs, the, the, the 
the customer wanted to change his design. I, you know, I couldn't meet this day. I would have been done. It, it's just natural. Whenever something comes awry at work, you look to see exactly what went wrong, and then you say, well, I didn't have this, I didn't have that, and didn't have that, innocently sometimes. And sometimes it's, it's justified, but it's just human nature to accuse and excuse oneself. You cast blame. Just take a look at our great ancestor, the first man, Adam. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. Now, I mean... This is Adam, where God would make a beautiful creation. He will create a perfect world, perfect creation. Set, hu- uh, set man to dominate and to, to, to uh, rule over his creation, to manage it for him. And where everything was good, the Lord would describe everything that he created, it was good. And he created man, he said it was very good. And he would see that man had a need and he would, he would provide that need and give him woman. And, and the Lord would, would create. Now if God says it's good, believe me, it's good. The things that I think are good, it's nothing compared to what the Lord thinks is good. And yet man would be in that mist. As soon as the first testing would come, he would fail. And what was his response? The woman... He's not saying I, he's just the woman that thou gavest me. Imagine that. He's casting blame, not just on the woman, he's casting blame on God. What blasphemy is that? Now, ladies, you do a little better. You don't blame God, but you just, you go on to say the serpent beguiled. Again, everybody's pointing at other places, right? We cast blame to justify. And the Lord will go on to see, I mean, God is all-knowing, he, he goes on to see that everybody, in a sense, in that case, shared some responsibility. Nobody ever took the blame. Christian, it is us. We're the guilty ones. And what is clear from the passage is that the only guiltless and perfect person is God. God. So let no one say that when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. And James, in, 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 in an aspect, wants to, to, to warn the believers at that time that no, it is not God who is tempting you to do this. He wants them to not fall into the trap. Remember, we spoke quite a bit about the book of Job when Brother Larry was here. And he was saying the problem with Job was that he didn't have the book of Job. And we'd like to point out that at the end of the book of Job, the Lord, you know, he straightened out Job and he came out through the trial and came out better on the other side, more blessed. But the Lord never really explained to Job, well, Job, the reason this happened was. That was never said. But one, if you recall in the, the first chapter when, when a Satan has his first assault on Job, and again, it is Satan, the, the scripture is specifically who is bringing this attack on Job where his servant would come. And probably one of the, the less degrees of the assault was that the sheep were consumed. It goes, fire is come from God and has burned the sheep and the servants. And only I am alive to tell thee. Was it God that sent the fire? No. Scripture was clear that it was Satan who sent the fire. God allowed it. But it wasn't God that did the fire. And in a sense, James here is trying to 
Cut that off. That's not an excuse. Don't use that excuse. Many people in the world will refuse to believe in God. Just for the, the fact is that if there is a God that exists, how can, how, why would he do this? Why would he do that? Whatever evil is in the world. And they would cast blame on God. But who said is God doing these evil things? Now does he allow it? That's a whole different aspect. But it is not God that does these temptation, these trials. He, he, he will allow them to come into the life of a believer. But he is not responsible. I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. What does that mean? God cannot be tempted with evil. We know that God is perfect. He is sinless. We know that in, the, in uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it would go on to say, and this is the message, this is John the Apostle speaking, this is the message which we have heard of him from the beginning. Nothing has changed. The message is the same. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. God is perfect. He is sinless. He cannot be tempted with evil. You know that God revealed himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the scripture would say the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in him. The, what God wants us to, to know about his person was demonstrated in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a sense, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was tempted, wasn't he? Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted in the wilderness. The devil came and tempted him, the, the, the rocks to bread. He, he appeased to his, his physical sight, told him to cast down and the angels would catch him. Showed him the riches and the kingdoms oh, and, and would tempt the Lord. And the Lord would, would say, it is written, thou shalt not tempt thy Lord, thy God. Why would Christ allow himself to be tempted? Why would God allow his son to be tempted? It says it right here that he cannot be tempted. At work, we, um, if you notice, I work for the, the power company. There's a lot of these concrete poles that are being installed. And it looks ugly sometimes. They replace the concrete pole and then the old wood poles there. Uh, and the reason that that happens is because there's other attachments that are not FPLs that need to be removed before the old one gets yanked out. But nonetheless, these concrete poles are supposed to be beefier. They're supposed to be stronger. They're supposed to be rated for to, to withstand 145-mile-an-hour hurricane Winds, the gusts of wind, so that when the winds blow, these poles will be standing. And now the, the, the contractor, the, the, the manufacturer that we use is called Precast, and they'll grab these poles and they'll put a strain on them, a constant push of 8,000 pounds at this location, 8,000 pounds at that location, and they will test these poles, that they will withstand, withstand the force, and that they won't break. And then we would examine these poles, and say, okay, this pole passes the test. In a sense, the Lord Jesus Christ would allow himself to be tempted to show that he is God, that he's sinless. There's no evil in him. He doesn't succumb to temptation. And it would give us, the believers, the confidence to know that we have a Savior that cannot sin. If the Lord Jesus Christ would have succumbed to one of those temptations, he wouldn't have been a Savior at all. Because he would have been in the same shoes as we are. He would have came to sin. But our Lord is made, was perfect. And he didn't have no sin in him. The Lord Jesus Christ in the upper room ministry, we're running out of time, um, would go, go to say to his disciples, it's a, a small verse that you don't think about when it 
uh, the Lord when you're thinking of the upper room ministry. But in 14, chapter 14, verse 30 of, of the book of John, the uh, gospel of John, it says, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The prince of the world, Satan, cometh. And he has nothing. There's nothing that he has in me. There's no evilness. What a difference is when, when Satan comes sniffing around to our lives. He finds stuff and puts traps for us to fall. But when he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing. He's perfect. And he will endure the temptation. So that God himself cannot tempt anyone with evil, nor is he tempted. He is sinless. He is unable to sin. So, let's go to the next, next verse. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Who is to blame when you succumb to temptation? Is it Satan? No, Satan will, as we've seen, he is the source of some temptation. Not all of them, but he's the source of some temptation. But who is responsible if you fall into that temptation? Is it Satan? No, James will point to you and say, you are responsible. Every man of his own self, when he is drawn away of his own lust, he is enticed. And that lust, that desire, it could be in, in a sexual immorality, it could be in desires of riches, it could be in, in anything that you, your weakness, in your old man, what is inside you. You have the spirit and then you have the old man battling constantly. And if we quench the spirit, your old man, your old flesh will have victory. And you will succumb to this temptation. Christian, we can't quench the spirit. We need to draw nearer to God. We need to, to if, if, we, if we turn our back on, on, on the spirit, don't let, let the spirit have his perfect work in us, we will fall into these snares. Is temptation sin? You have to ask yourself. You come to this question. Is the, is the physical temptation Sin. Well, I mean, Job couldn't help that the fire came down, right? Joseph couldn't help that his brothers throwed, sold them into slavery. It wasn't, that's not sin in their lives. Temptation is not sin. But when temptation aligns itself with your inner desire, it becomes sin. And we're going to see the process of that in a very graphic and almost biological terms, James uses. Romans chapter 7, we won't turn there just for time's sake. The Apostle Paul will say, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good. No good. That same chapter, uh, he, would, he would call out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin. Is Paul crying out for salvation here, brothers and sisters? He is not. He's a saved. He's a believer. Those things that which I would do, those things I do not. That which I would do, that I don't do. He's, he's saying that there's this battle, this inner battle of the flesh and of the spirit. And we won't be free of that, unfortunately, until we are made perfect. We have to take heed to God's word. We have to... Not in our own strength, we can't overcome these temptations. It's important to know also that you can't say, for example, if Satan was to tempt me, if I was in the Lord's situation in the wilderness, I wouldn't have gone to the third temptation. I would have turned that bread, 
that stones into bread immediately. Because I'm a weak person. And you can't say, the Apostle Paul would, would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that God is faithful. You can't claim that the temptation was too great I, and I fell into that sin. That's not an excuse. Because the scripture will be clear to say that God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Not only that, he will provide a way for you to overcome the temptation. Christian, it's important to realize that fact. There's no temptation that's, that's overly bearing, that no man, that, that you are not able to overcome. If you are encountered into the, whatever situation it is, at work, at school, at home, you think that nobody's watching. Remember that the Lord has given you the strength to overcome that temptation. No man can say the devil was just overbearing upon me and that's why I sinned. That's false. And we need to not use that as an excuse. So, verse 14, what you, you could conclude is it's you. There's nobody else to point the finger to. It is you who's responsible for that sin. Back in this, this time, the, the, the Greek culture was very prevalent in, in, amongst the people and amongst the people of God. Paul himself would go and, and preach at these, these places where there would be many gods. And the, the, the strange thing about the Greeks is they would create these gods. They would create a gods with small g. And they would give them human aspects. And I used to love learning about that stuff in high school. I'm like, I thought it was kind of funny that certain gods would have certain aspects. But they would, in a sense, create these gods to give themselves an excuse. And, and they would say, oh, this is Aphrodite, is the goddess of love. And, and they would use an excuse, oh, I found that sexual immorality because Aphrodite came upon me. If you get enraged and, and you hit somebody or you killed somebody, oh, the god of war was, was enraging me. And they would use these things. But it's not a god of war. You can't say I have a demon of pride. No, that demon is you. That's you, man. There's no excuse. And, and we can't blame the devil. We can't blame... And, and don't think that that Greek culture, it happens now. You'll have... And, and we'll, we've seen families torn up by sexual immorality. Where there'll be some unfaithfulness. And at the time you ask a person, why? Why did you leave your wife? Love made me do it. Love. Love. Brothers. Sisters, let's take heed lest we fall. These are grave warnings that James would, would point out. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Now imagine this, if there's any doctors or any medical uh, profession, professionals out there, Maybe you could appreciate these terms. James is describing the process of what happens when, when you, temptation meets the inner desire of your, your sinful nature and they meet. There's a conception. It's almost, it takes two to conceive. In human nature, it takes two to conceive. And what is conceived is sin. You have a baby and this baby is called sin. Now this sin is a wicked thing. It may seem something cute at the beginning that you entertain and, and you think you could, you could uh, live a Christian life, which, by the way, that's completely everything contrary to what Scripture would say. 
in Epistle of First John, it would it would go on to read. It says, "If we have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, we lie, and tell not the truth. We lie and tell not the truth." And James will go on to say, "Do not err, do not stray, do not be deceived. You can't entertain this sin. You can't." Conceive, have your, your lust conceive and bring forth this sin. And if you entertain this sin, it kills you. It kills you. In what sense does it kill you? Death. There's three, three ways that death is described in Scripture. There's the physical death, our bodies. Separation of spirit and body, right? Our physical bodies die. That's one death. There's spiritual death. When you were dead and your trespasses of sins, we were heard about that this morning every human individual that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ is spiritually dead and then there's eternal death which is described in Revelation 20 the great white throne when they're eternally separated from God now I, I will say this that sin can bring forth these three deaths if sin is not addressed for the unbeliever whatever it is alcohol drugs any kind of abuse, it'll kill you. Physically, it will kill you. Spiritually, it will kill you. Now, for the Christian, it more, applies more of 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. When there's sin in a Christian's life, there's that broken fellowship between you and the Father, the source of life. For this is life eternal, right? John describes that they may know thee, the true God. That we might have this fellowship, this common, this common fellowship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. When there's sin and you're suppressing the Spirit, your spiritual life is dead. You could kill your spiritual life if you have sin in your life and you entertain it. And you, you say, no, you, you, you're suppressing it. No, I could have this sin on the side and enjoy of spiritual things and have communion with the Father. That is a lie. It's a lie of the devil. It could kill the spiritual family in a family. If there's, if there's some sin, the entire family will suffer. Do not err, my brethren. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And he's issuing an, a stern warning here. Do not err. Now this, this temptation, there's different um, ways to, to endure, to, to overcome this temptation. In verses 17 through 18, which which is the good news, by the way, and we're short on time, right? When, when Joseph, you could say that, jo that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. God didn't, you know, tell his brothers to do it. What you, Joseph didn't say that Potiphar's wife was sent, you know, he starts reasoning with your, your human head, well, you know, I'm in this situation, the Lord put me here, maybe he wants me to have Potiphar's wife. That reasoning is sinful, and you need to not err, my brothers. You can't have sin. You can't continually entertain sin and have a relationship with God. That is not false. That's, that's completely false. And, and, and the, what James would go on to say is now that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Everything that is good in your life. Anything positive, anything that makes that 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 brings joy to your life, true joy, is from above. You have a healthy a healthy body. Praise the Lord. That's a gift from the Lord. You have children. That's a, a gift from the Lord. You have spiritual health. You have a communion. You have eternal life that you're nurturing. 
That's a gift from up above. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He has given us everything He could possibly give spiritually. Earthly, some He might bless more than others, but we're still rich in Him. These things will perish. What we have is incorruptible. Peter would go on to say, Every good gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation, no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What a contrast we have in the previous verses. We have the prince of darkness, the prince of this world, prince of darkness. Over here we have the father of lights. John will go on to say that in him was the light, the life of men. He, that the, the light came into this world and the darkness could not overcome it. This, this father of light... What does He bring forth? He brings forth life. He comes brings and brings salvation. Where the prince of darkness, His offspring is what? Sin and death. What a contrast it is from what we have to what we had. Now, if there's anybody out here tonight or this morning that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, believe it or not, you're under dominion of that prince of darkness there is no middle ground it's black and white you're of the faith you're a son of god behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we could become children of god we could have this life eternal as opposed to sin and death of his own will he begot us by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This word begot is to begot a son. To many as received them, to them he gave power to become, to be called, the authority to become children of God. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, I suggest that you reconsider your position. If you say, you know what, I have my life to live, I'll make a decision on God later. Well, the scripture would go on to say that let not man boast about tomorrow. We don't know if we're going to survive the next meal. The time of salvation is now. To not put this off. He begot us the word, with his word of truth. That we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Christian, God's will for your life is to make you lovely, to conform you into the image of his son, that we might be first fruits. And in, in, in the, the train of thought here is that we might be like a, an example to the world of what God can do in their lives. Here is a, an example of what God wants to do with you. He wants to make you like His Son. He wants to make you perfect. Are you showing that to the world? Do they see Christ in you? Are you being a first fruit? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away and all things are made new. We are at a time, brothers and sisters, Let's just look to the Lord. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful 
for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we're thankful that, that we can be justified, we can be made right with God, that we can uh, enjoy life eternal now, here now in this world. We could have a relationship with you, we could have fellowship with you, we could uh, have, our spirit, have spiritual growth and enjoy of your presence, Father, here and now, Lord. We thank you for uh, this epistle of James. Let us not uh, take the attitude, oh, this, this is, would be a good passage for somebody. No, this is a good passage for us, Father. Father, help us to take heed lest we fall. Help us to lean on you, Father. Help us to trust in your word that we may overcome temptation, Father. That we would come out to the other side, blameless, Father, and just closer to you, Father. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that's going through trial, a trial that's very heavy, burdensome on their lives, Father, that you would help them, Father. Give us uh, the strength, Father, to overcome. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that we have through him. It is in his name we do pray. Amen.